0: Hi, everybody. Good to see you all. <laughs> you can sit there, Jeff. That won't faze me. Hello, hello. So good to have you all here. I can't believe you're here. I wouldn't be here if I were you, but I'm so thankful you are. This topic of play is near and dear to my heart. I, I've actually said something this extreme sounding. Play saved my life in some very significant ways. What if? just knew my background, knew just what things were like when I was growing up, the ability to leave the house and go to Colony Park and play not only had a therapeutic effect, in many ways it kept me from things most of my friends were getting involved with and uh, just a mentality of life that, that took over in their lives that were incredibly destructive. And the ability to, to play the way I was able to as a kid, and this instinct I had to play, I really don't think it's an overstatement to say it saved my life in many ways. Maybe maybe I'd still be alive, but I wouldn't be alive the way I am. And so, so I, I'm, I'm glad you're here. I think this is an incredibly important topic, especially for Christians to think well about. And so let me pray, and then I just want to dive in doing something in particular. Lord, thank you so much for your presence with us. Thank you that you are the God who created billions of daisies and the hippopotamus. And Lord, we're grateful that you are a God who's patient and kind, and you're the God who made us knitted us together in our mother's womb fearfully and wonderfully made lord to think that you are beyond our ability to fully comprehend but then to think so are we in the way you've made us and we never really can fully arrive in our understanding even of another finite creature and so lord we're grateful that we have this time What a a beautiful gathering this is, Lord. I I feel so privileged to be here this weekend and in this room with these dear brothers and sisters uh, wanting to understand this really important concept of play. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us in these few minutes we have to deepen our understanding of you, of ourselves, of life that is flooded with hope so that we can play. And we commit this time to you Asking you to work in good and powerful ways. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, again, thank you for being here. What I'd love to do is to quickly go around and just hear from you something. It doesn't have to be the thing, but something that was really significant to you as a kid in play. When you think of when you playing as a kid. What was what was an activity, something you did that you would say that was a really important part of my play as a child? What what are those things? Can we start over here?
1: Okay, so, so I started smiling because so something came to my heart. I saw that smile. <laughs> it was what will it be? And then it came. Okay, and I, I was in third and fourth grade, and our our uh, our playground had a sandbox. So I would play in the sandbox and dig huge holes. And I would make animals out of sand, (laughs) like sand animals, like like kids sculptures out of sand.
0: Yes, I love it. I would
1: do that, and I'll make (laughs) one (laughs) for Right. I love the
2: sand.
0: Good, good, good. Beautiful. Remind me of your name.
3: Oh, I'm
0: Jamie. Jamie, that's right, Jamie. If you give us your name, and then what you played, yeah. Um,
3: My name is Alyssa, and um, as a child, I remember. Exploring different articles of clothing and household items as props because my medium is
1: acting. Nice. So, uh, I just found it fascinating to create a world with the things that were uh, that surrounded me. Yeah. And, and exploring them.
0: Beautiful. Excellent.
4: Hi, I'm Toni. Um, one of the most important things to me when I was a child in play was my best friend. And my best friend's name was Walketta, because she walked to school with me every day. Well, Walketta was my imaginary friend, (laughs) because I didn't have children around, and I was the youngest of five girls. So Walketta, she knew everything. She did everything with me, and she loved everything I did.
0: (laughs) 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 She
4: was very important to me. She she, uh, stuck with me through quite a long time. Yeah. <laughs> now I
5: have a new best friend.
0: <laughs> so Wauquetta's not here this weekend. No, she no. did come yeah. today. <laughs> did you name her?
5: Wauquetta, well, You yes? named because her? Because she walked to school of with Of course. Me. Yep. <laughs>
0: good
5: so good. Um, so, good morning.
6: My name is Christine. And at first I thought, well, my very favorite thing to do with the twine tree is. But then I had forgotten that I loved it and by all the kids from the neighborhood. And I would prepare a craft for them to do it. I've forgotten
0: about that. So. You prepared a craft for them?
6: Yeah. <laughs> oh. oh.
0: yes. That's so great. A leader yes. from the start.
6: And <laughs> <laughs> yes.
4: yeah. today, hi, my name is G and uh, at first, I too, there was a tree in my front yard that I used to love to swing on. And, but then as I was thinking, I thought, you know, one when, when of my favorite memories is opening my closet doors And they had full length mirrors on them, and I would tap dance in my bedroom. (laughs) My joy. (laughs) That's so great.
7: Uh, My name is Asher. Uh, I'm trying to think of it, like you said, it doesn't have to be the thing. So I guess what I'll say is just playing board games um, Mm -hmm. on our yearly Yosemite camping trip with all my eight siblings.
0: Wow. So you're one of nine. Yeah. Wow. What board game in particular did once come to mind that was most... Settlers of Catan. Yes. Did you ever get angry in that game?
7: No, I wasn't I wasn't the competitive one. Alright. <laughs> I would just get tired. I'm like, there comes a point in that game where you're just boxed up and there's nothing else you can do. It's like, yeah. I
8: don't need to be playing anymore. You guys can just work it out. <laughs>
6: yeah. awesome. Good. Good, thank you.
8: My name's Lauren, and um, my favorite memory of play as a kid, was, my dad had a, put up a basketball hoop on our uh, driveway, and I had three older brothers and um, had a lot of friends. We were always involved in something, play, some kind of play, but I, I realized as I got into high school, a lot of my friends were watching ball games on TV on Saturdays, and I couldn't do that. You know, They knew all the names of all the ball players, et cetera, I was outside shooting hoops or Uh, riding bike, you know, something like that. It was freedom for me. Um, I watched some of the Saturday morning cartoons, but after that, I got out and played, and it was just freedom.
0: Yeah, that's beautiful. I I heard somebody describe (laughs) watching sports as people badly in need of exercise, watching people badly in need of rest. <laughs> yeah. Good. Excellent. This is good.
1: Um, hi, my name is Rufay and I am the oldest in the home from, we have to but my brother was my closest playmate. Uh, we were three years apart. And then I have a sister that we were nine years apart and then 14 years apart. So my brother, David, was my play, my play partner. My parents worked a lot, so we had babysitters at home, but uh, we created worlds together. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the memories I have is um, in the backyard, like, like little animals would die like, Birds or bugs, or sometimes he'd kill the bugs. <laughs> Anyhow, we created a cemetery for all the <laughs> <little> <laughs> animals. And um, we would try to find as many little dead
2: animals or bugs, fireflies, whatever it was. So I
1: would create little crosses and we would make little rocks with like. Uh, paint them, the the and name um, the animals, and,
0: yeah. Here lies Dumb Beetle. Yeah, <laughs> um, so yeah. Right. we were
1: constantly looking forward
9: to finding
2: some little dead creature to take for a cemetery. That's <laughs> 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 fantastic.
0: You should market this somehow. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so
1: we would take little, little. You know, I can't remember the name of these little flowers we used to have, and we would take little flowers to the cemetery. Of course. <laughs> so yeah, that was. And he also helped oh, him and I also created a river in the yard. to um, dug um, a canal and we filled it with as much water from the hose that we could, and then we take out the Barbies and Kent and all of them. They just just go to the river, you know.
0: Day <laughs> at the river. So
2: good. So I played
1: Cemetery and Dead Bugs with him, and he played Barbie with
9: me. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> I'm Nicole, and my memories, uh, my memories, climbing trees and turning trees into hotels, or. Um, shopping centers, each branch was a different level. And then I remember we lived in a place with lots of pine trees and we'd gather all the uh, needles and make houses with the needles, the outlines
4: of houses. And then, yeah. Wow. I'm Jonathan. And what I remember, I have 25 cousins, first cousins. Oh. And my grandparents had a peach orchard in Sherlock. And all of the brothers or my uncles would go harvest the peaches and all of us cousins would play, we'd sit across the levees and pour water on us and just be covered with mud. And then after that my grandpa would pile as many of us as he could into his Jeep. And you know, we were sitting on each other and that was not safe. But that would we would all just go riding around the, the orchard in the Jeep. And so I come from farmers, and this is going to go a little bit further than my youth. Um, but now I have a grandson, and we do stuff like that. And he tells me he's farmer baby, and that I'm
0: his favorite toy. <laughs> oh, that's great. I love that you said, now that wasn't safe.
7: <laughs> to permission to do that? I was at a
0: camp one time in Illinois. And I was with the director of the camp, and we walked over a bridge, and there was a hole in the bridge. And I said, Bud, this isn't safe. And he looked at me and said, Eric, Honey Rock has never been safe. That's why kids like it. (laughs) 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 So to do that, yeah. Okay, well, my name is
5: Sheila. And I'm an only child, and my parents are older, and they don't remember a lot of playthings. I mean, I had some toys in my closet, and I played with my mom, made a lot of doll clothes for me, but I didn't really have a lot of memories of playing dolls, though I had several. I do remember playing hopscotch a lot at school, and not wanting to go into class until I got it right. And I'd start again, and the other kids had already gone in, and I'd still be trying to get it right, and then I'd go in and get told for being late. (laughs) It's
0: worth it, though.
1: Um, I'm Ashley. Um, I think my favorite form of play is either climbing trees, doing physical things. I did dance a lot when I was younger, and it was the perfect mix of structure and yes. creativity. And it was yes. very freeing really.
0: What Mostly what kind of dance was it? Classical ballet. Okay. So very structured. Yes. But okay. lots of
2: creativity. Yes, yes.
0: Yeah. yes. Excellent. Excellent. And hey. Are we bothering you? I was just told that there was like a weird
10: noise or something electrical happening. It's just a little fluttering. Yeah. Oh boy. Yeah. Oh,
2: that. uh, yeah, seat. that's
7: the heater running and the ceiling does make some noise when it's happened, but you're all safe. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you're cozy, warm.
0: So. <laughs> we just decided we don't want to be run. safe. <laughs> <laughs> safe. <laughs> <laughs> <His brother. laughs> oh, hi, I'm Christine, and um, I was a burrower
2: so we,
9: um, I used to just imagine whenever I'd see like, little corners, trees and stuff, ways I could like burrow under and make a, make a house. So like, a, a hobbit hole is my ideal place to live. <laughs> um, and so we had a big bottle brush tree in the front yard. And so I, um, it's like, really, really full of sticks. Like, it's very, very dense foliage. So I tunneled in, made myself a little hole, and like brought my toys up there, and would just hang out in the tree all the time. Okay. So
6: cool. <laughs>
11: I was a burler. So <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
9: That's good to know.
2: Yeah.
9: My name is Kelly, and I um, identify with what Lauren had to say about being outside and around town and that freedom it was, a, it was a different world then where we just uh, roller skated all over town, run my bike all over town, and mm-hmm. um, just you're outside until the street came on, you know, that type of But one of my favorite memories is um, the beach with my grandmother and being in the waves and body surfing and everything. Very,
1: very free feeling as a child.
3: I'm Elisa and I lived in Illinois when I was a kid and my sister and I played outside a lot. And uh, sometimes we would take our toys outside and sometimes we would just play imaginatively. Um, I relate to the burrowing. Like we, we had like weeping willow type trees around. Like I, I like finding spots like that that were natural, but sort of enclosed. And I read Narnia a lot as a kid, and I, I think a lot of my play was always like sort of waiting for the magic to happen. Uh,
2: my name's Evan.
7: And uh, most of my memories are me and my friends playing in the woods up here and pretending to be soldiers or building forts out of sticks and logs and bark and doing all kinds of dumb stuff. (laughs) (laughs) I won't mention it because one of the fathers is
12: here. One of the fathers is here. Um, hi, I'm Laura, and I thought of playing little ball in the backyard with my sister and my dad, and then I also thought about my baby dolls, my Cabbage Patch dolls, were my favorite. I had names for all of them, and I knew them, I always had, I had seven, felt very proud of having seven of them, and I loved playing house with them, so that was probably my favorite way to play.
2: Do you remember
0: the insanity around Cabbage Patch <laughs> dolls? <Yes. laughs> like, places selling out. Yeah. You still have them.
12: Uh, yes, my, my parents had
0: muscle, I think, yeah. Well, they spent a lot of money on them. I know. <laughs> yes, they're <best. laughs> they're kind of funny looking now. Like, they are oh, straight. <laughs> they are <laughs> straight.
12: <laughs> Yeah, no, you're, they were me. <laughs> uh, hi, I'm Lexi, and I remember very distinctly, like, no matter what we were doing as a kid, I think the biggest theme was just the freedom of imagination and me a lot of storytelling through whatever we were doing because like my friend group we'd always just pretend to be like playing soldiers or pretending to be restaurant owners or um sometimes animals and like we just had these stories we would tell through whatever it was and it would change every day it's like one day we'd be doing this and like this whole plot line is happening where we're like mad scientists trying to <laughs> save the world and then next day we're just like let's open a restaurant <laughs> like all over the place and um, just cool to see like how that's adapted into adulthood and like sure. turning that just love of storytelling and imagination into mm-hmm. different businesses as a grown up and different mediums
9: of art. So storytelling. Hi, Katie. Hey. Um, and I don't know. I watched my dad watch a lot of National Geographic as a kid, so I somehow got into my head about the Amazon rainforest and like the mysteries of Roanoke Island and all that stuff. And so I would draw little maps and make like really badly done blueprints of houses in the maps (laughs) and like this whole governing system that went on in this little community in the map. And I would just kind of uh, get these little like civilizations in my mind and draw them down and then scrap them and do it again and again. (laughs) And yeah, it's still fun to do. It's just like storyboarding and character making and you can imagine like what the baker looks like and what the baker does in the town like how the hospital looks. And, yeah. Wow. <laughs> so good. Abby. I'm Abby. This is Iris. <laughs> um,
1: like what you two were saying about just like the storytelling in a little bit of whatever, whether it's drawing a picture or playing dollhouse or singing on my friend's rope swings and then um, just making home videos. Really cringy uh, music videos. <laughs> <laughs> like listening like, to Super Chick. Yeah. And then
2: a commercial for lotion. Or no, for acne. On my friend, but like putting lotion on her face, like just rub it in. <laughs> 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 Make
0: your acne go. <laughs> yeah. That is so good. Uh, yeah. What, chick. Super chick. Super chick. Yeah.
3: Super What's chick. That? I don't,
0: I don't what is that? Super
3: chick. You know, like <laughs> Why
1: can't I think of a song right now? <laughs> oh, there's a song. No, 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 it's a band. It's a, it's a band. Oh, oh my band. bad. All right. Gotcha. All right.
0: So they were not on my playlist. That's <laughs> 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 so strange. We'll add it to Bob Bennett's listing. <laughs> okay. We. Hey, I
7: remember
6: when um, they
7: just like, friends and I grew up in Minnesota, and so just playing outside and making up games, but ping pong, I think, was like one of the main focuses of play. Had a ping pong table in our garage, the garage doors open, a whole bunch of friends over. And I think it was both having onlookers and playing against one person, being stretched to our limits in ping pong, and then achieving in a rally where like both of us were at the top of our game and making hits or making shots that we would not normally make. And there was just such a thrill in the advance of skill in the celebration celebration and then the competition that just fueled it all on. That is some of the most fond play that I could think of. Was a table at your house? It was. Yeah. I had friends over that's all the huge. like eight people sitting one on one or devils. It was just magical. Yeah
0: that just creates a subculture in your home, your house Really. Yeah, that's beautiful.
9: I'm Emily and um, I love all the things that you're saying and the first thing that came to my mind was hopscotch, like Sheila, um, but my reasons were completely vain. <laughs> so because I'm, I'm tall, people expected that I would be good at sports and I'm just not good at sports. But this is one thing that I could do, well, because all I had to do was just leap. And I would leap and the kids would cheer. And
2: <laughs>
0: I I guess I'm confessing. Yes. <laughs> so you were maxing out on that NC. Yes. <laughs> you just, yeah, I love it. The kids would cheer.
8: Um, mine was uh, exploring. We had a, a housing track that was right up against um, cow fields and things like that. And so we would just roam. And uh, it was everything from the wee-wee hill that was a steep <laughs> hill that we would build whatever we could with wheels to see if we could make it to the bottom, which we rarely ever did. Mm-hmm. Um, and the crashing and tumbling was all part of it, like it, it was better when you had a terrible accident. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but then hills, going into them, finding small caves and things like that, and imagining that was where Zorro's treasures were, and, and you to find them. We didn't,
0: uh, don't, don't come after me for money. So. <laughs> <laughs> Sorrows, treasures, I love it. Hi,
3: I'm Lisa and um, I would say a lot of my play was in small spaces. We grew up in a townhouse, um, in a low-income housing community, and so I would play cars with my brother, which I, I know now the landscaper, for that place, was it because we'd carve in these little trails, cycling like, like, with the cars, we in trails, and we'd have our own little story going on there, or we, again, the landscape, probably didn't like this, but we took our utensils, they'd keep carving tools, and we'd make little gardens in the dirt, and um, probably destroyed a lot of things, and <laughs> added bugs to them, because they were the gardener's friends, and I think, um, if I had to say something that was the most special about growing up with cousins, going to my grandparents' house. And it was just a little two-bedroom condominium, but it may have been well and miles and miles of place to explore because my cousin and I, one of them, we created this lunch game where we would travel to. And thinking back as a kid, I mean, it felt so real. Uh. It felt so real to be transported there and we would run back and forth as if we were running over hills and valleys and and all these adventures. and uh, yes, I think now as an adult, I probably bring some of that into my work, working with children mm-hmm. at the preschool. Mm-hmm. I, I'm putting together the Bible curriculum and several weekly old chapel. And I didn't realize that it'd be so theatrical as I'm <laughs> pretending.
2: To be, um,
3: Zacchaeus climbing the tree. Yeah. So yeah. Um, yeah, those are my best memories. It's just pretending.
0: Can I just add to the Zacchaeus story? That's always fascinated me. I remember learning. It's really unclear in the Zacchaeus story who is short. Seriously, because it says he couldn't see Jesus. All it says is because he was short, a small stature. And we assume that's Zacchaeus, but it could have been Jesus. I never thought about that. Yeah. We, we assume Jesus is 6'5 for some reason. Well, he was isn't probably. The
7: verse that says he grew, Jesus, he grew in He grew in wisdom and, in stem- in and in st- in stature with yeah.
0: God. But didn't mean he grew past 5'1. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> yeah. yeah. Seriously, the average Jewish male in the first century is about 5'2, five 5'3. Five so it may have been Jesus. But we just assume things about what ideal humanity is.
8: <laughs> the whole song
0: yeah, you got to stay with the song. We little man, we little man was he that, that a Scottish guy must have made up, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. Thank you. That's so good.
2: Um, my name is Lori,
13: and um, I was that kid that was always laid in the grass looking at the clouds, mm-hmm. um, imagining all the different things, and then I would uh, I would take the elephant off and do things with them, and and I always had the dogs out there with me, and you know they were like. <laughs> what's she doing But when I became a parent I used to take my kids out and we'd lay on the grass oh, no. and then my ex would come home and go <laughs>
0: <laughs> just like the dogs yeah
13: exactly so to this day if I see an interesting cloud I would pull the car over and take a picture oh. of they
2: still
6: do it. That's so good.
13: Yeah. We didn't have a whole lot of money, so we didn't have fancy games and and, and uh, basketball hoops and all that. No, we had sticks and rocks clouds. and all that stuff. Yeah, so. yeah clouds. Yeah, and good imagination. My mom still tells me that. I <laughs> love it. My name
10: is Doug, and like Lisa said, Lisa, uh, playing with cousins was probably the best thing. I was one of nine. Cousins, wow. Uh, we get together three or four times a year. That was the best. Uh, but in the neighborhood, I loved building skateboard ramps. That was mm-hmm. fun. Trying to figure out how to do it with limited tools and limited supplies. That was a blast.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
9: My name's Anna
1: Laura. Um, the first, mem- like the first memory of play, I think I have is uh, I lived in Borneo when I was little. And we would play freeze tag
12: when it would rain. So I remember thinking it was so funny like, why are we playing freeze tag? Because it's hot and raining. I was very literal. So. Mm. <laughs>
2: uh, you know, not putting together that, like, you get tagged and then you have to freeze. <laughs> but it's not freezing, it's hot. <laughs> My name's
9: Ashley.
10: Um, I also made houses with pine needles on at least uh, one camping trip. And um, i also played freeze tag a lot. Uh, but the one that came up was, um, I lived on a cul-de-sac that was up against another cul-de-sac and in between we had what was known as the Green Belt. It was a patch of grass with a um, uh, walking path in between. And then there was a hill, which I've been back to that hill now and I'm like, this is not a hill. (laughs) But boy, when you're like five, and uh, I think I was about six or seven before I was able to go all the way up it on my bike without having to stop. Mm-hmm. And then a little bit after that, I was able to go all the way up on the roller skates. Mm-hmm. And the coming down on roller skates was a little scary, but coming down on the bike was fantastic. But being able to get to the top of the Greenbelt Hill was like the epitome of the, of the neighborhood uh, play. So um, and we had lots of other play there too. Mm-hmm. Love it. I'm
4: Patsy. And- where my father worked, there was a small lake, and we had a canoe on the tied up there somewhere. My mother would take my brothers and I out, and we would paddle around on the lake and play on the lake, and it was just wonderful.
2: Uh, was just wonderful. so good, fancy. Thank you.
11: My name's Charlie. I grew up in Kevin Arnold's Wonder Years neighborhood, um, where you have streets and sidewalks and. That uh, was your play area, skateboarding, mid-sixties, that type of thing. And um I grew up in West Mendel Park, tucked up against Sharon Heights before it was developed, and so we had all the grasslands up there to play in. We had underground forts. They grew too extensive and we had a cave in and we had to pull a kid out. But the best part of He just skips right past <laughs>
0: He lived. He
11: lived. That was the least of our (laughs) problems. I mean, I think maybe it was uh, having parents from the World War II generation. You know, I I remember flying down a hill on my bike and losing control and smashing into a car, hitting the pavement, skidding along the pavement, and getting up and bleeding. One of the neighbors comes out and goes, oh, you're fine. you're Bleeding, but you haven't seen the blood I saw in
2: 1944.
11: Pat was army, you know, okay. so, yeah, well, you're fine. Anyway, it was kind of the parental paranoia for children's accidents being out five helmets. Why, yeah, you know, our head's perfectly fine. And, um, anyway, it was it was a kind of a wonderful time. We had sports in the streets and the whole thing
0: year round too
11: in the rain I was in fourth
0: grade and my father said I lived in Connecticut and my dad said in Southern California people go in their backyard and they just pick fruit right off the tree I couldn't believe it and they said and they have classic cars for decades because the winter doesn't ruin it Mm -hmm. I couldn't believe it And he said, and it's where skateboarding was invented. And then he found out it was a drought. They had to drain the pools, and they couldn't fill the pools, and kids just started skateboarding. (laughs) Unbelievable. Did we miss anybody? Yes. would you play growing up? Nate, what'd you play growing up? One thing.
7: Uh, I'm Daniel. And growing up, I think my dad gave me a sense of adventure outside. He would always... Put on this Australian accent and take me and my sister around the yard. <laughs> <laughs> we look at this like rock and a thing right next to each other and make a scene out of it, like a little diorama. And then we, you know, take a trail to the next part of the yard and on this on this adventure. And so I think he inspired me to. Oh, I don't know. I love little scenes, little dioramas.
2: so
0: Here's what I'd love to just hear from you for a a couple of minutes. What are feelings you've been having as you've listened to people talk about playing these kids? Joy.
6: Joy. Joy. Happiness. Mm -hmm.
0: happiness, Peace. peace, Nostalgia. Nostalgia. Nostalgia, yes. Nostalgia. Exhilaration. It's amazing, isn't it? I was watching the rest of you listen to each other you all had these smiles on your
9: face
0: who said nostalgia yeah it it was really moving to me and I think nostalgia was part of it. it it's like this world that can feel lost it can feel like it's gone like it's it's just there for kids And there's something right about that. I've I've traveled to all kinds of places in the world. And it's just been astounding to me that no matter where I've been, you can find children playing. I've been in some of the most horrific places in the world, some slums in India, which I feel like the closest thing in some ways you're going to find to hell, except for maybe a battlefield on Earth. And you see kids with a tire, rolling that thing down the road, just making a game on it. It's amazing. And I think very often, like in my life, for instance, sometimes play becomes this wonderful escape, wonderful ability to move away from it. Did anybody, I would just love to hear some of your observations. Were there any common themes? Were there any... Any observations you were making as you were all wonderfully listening to each other? It's not hard, is it? Mm-hmm. Some things are hard, harder to listen to, but when people talk about what they played as kids, for some reason, it's never hard to listen to it. Because you can enter into their world. Mm-hmm. What are some observations? Anything you, you picked up as we...
4: A lot of them were outdoors
0: yes. in nature. Yes, outdoors in nature. And you think of the detriment today of so many kids spending so much of their life in their room on their phones scrolling through TikTok and how stunting that is I don't think it's any coincidence we just had such a rich experience with a bunch of creative people I'll I'll stop I I, want to hear what you have to say What, what else? Excellent a lot of outdoors, what else?
5: What well, made me bring back a lot of memories because it's like, oh yeah, I love playing ping pong. Yeah. Oh yeah, I love doing <laughs> That's right. oh, I love going to the lake. Yeah, mm-hmm.
0: yeah, good, good.
5: Yeah, it was so varied but so connected. Yeah,
0: yeah so many commonalities between
13: imagination. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. People creating mm-hmm. their own worlds and their own, you know, burrowing and mapping yes. and, you
0: know. Yeah, make believe. Yeah. Entering into that, yeah.
4: Escape comes to my yeah. mind.
0: Yeah, yeah, You you under and it's related to the imagination of another world. And the better your imagination, the more effective the escape is. In it. Yeah, good, excellent. I think
7: probably everybody's example was either centered around imagination or it was centered around competition. One of the two. Yeah. yeah. Excellent.
2: Good. Oh, well,
1: there, there wasn't anything about cares or to-do lists or toxic
2: stress, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's true that
1: it's serious, but it's funny too. Serious is funny. But uh, it, there was nothing, no dread. I, There wasn't a spirit of dread in anything that no was No toxic stress. No toxic stress. Mm-hmm. There's a billboard in Fresno about toxic stress. Can it harm your child? Have you seen that anymore? Wow. <laughs> so that's the phrase. Was
0: yeah, that's <laughs> good. Mm-hmm.
6: Other, yeah. Um,
9: some sort of like unintentional critical thinking that going with the imagination mm-hmm. no stress is like accidental fun problem solving mm-hmm. that's just exciting and it's not like oh well, there's this problem how we're we to the board? you know and how you're saying yesterday boredom there's none of that it's just yeah. minimal, fun, problem solving how fun with it you know? that's right mm-hmm. that's right good mm-hmm. so this might be kind of obvious but kind of like what you were saying
12: like they're all just fun and it's just for the sake of doing it almost mm-hmm. like it's not tied to like as adults, we like there has to be a reason or purpose for what we're doing. Like has to be productive and it has to be work. But like, yeah. as kids, all just playing. Like it's just for the sake of doing it because it's fun. It's really beautiful. Uh, yeah. A lot of them were shared experiences yes. with a larger yeah. relationship Huge. involved, even if it's wanting to share it with someone imaginary. But there's yes relationship building. Happening. That's fascinating.
0: So whether it's whether it's nine cousins or. A made up friend, yeah. yeah, it's something to be shared. The sharing of it is huge. Mm-hmm. Good, other observations you picked up
11: A sense of adventure with others, yeah, testing yourself, yes, with this branch
2: holding up your-
0: here. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. We would find trees that were very flexible <laughs> and get as many of them up on there as possible and get that thing going like this. It was. Guys would go flinging off. It was, it was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Any other observations?
10: Yeah. Small versions of
7: real things, whether that be a small house with thin needles or a small animal cemetery. Or yes, yes. <laughs> or, or cars. Yeah, yeah. I feel like as a kid, you can do, because you don't imagine, you can do
1: anything. If you're growing, you can be a soldier yes you, yes like, yes you can do all these different things whereas as you grow older you start like oh i can't mm-hmm. anymore because i'm not an artist i'm this or that like you get more almost into a certain way whereas when you're a kid you can have fun you're like i'm going to with mud and now i'm going to go over here and like climb a tree and yeah. now i'm going to like sit and play blocks that's
0: something. right that's right there's a book called Reviving Ophelia have any of you read of Reviving Ophelia Jane uh, Jane uh, I'm thinking of her daughter-in-law uh, Mary Pifer She's not a Christian but she's maybe the world's leading expert on adolescent girls and she she talks about Ophelia this mythical youthful exuberant adventuresome picture of femininity that she says little girls are born with and then at about twelve or thirteen she says often Ophelia dies. Mm-hmm. And so much of her counseling practice has been what she says trying to revive Ophelia. Mm-hmm. And it's just what you're saying, Abby. A lot of it, a little girl runs out in the world with such an unbridled lack of self-consciousness and 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 is yeah, one day it's an astronaut, another day it's an adventurer in this way and don't feel all these limits. And the way Mary puts it is, at 12 or 13, a little girl goes from feeling like a subject in the world to an object in the world, where she moves into the world with adventuresome spirit to, like we talked about last night, really fulfill the creation mandate, to rule over and subdue and be fruitful and multiply. And then puberty hits, and she becomes aware of how scrutinized she is. Rather than scrutinizing the world and acting upon it as an adventurer, she now feels like she's being evaluated and acted upon constantly. And so so there's a shift that takes place. It happens with boys too, but it seems in some ways more dramatic. I remember taking my sister to Disney World when she was 13, and it was miserable. It was like, I just want to be home, my friend. And I think if we took her a year earlier, it would have been an amazing time for her. But something had happened in Rachel that, that shifted, that was so sad. And so I think it's tapping into what you're saying. Yeah. Other other mm-hmm. observations.
1: I think you hit on it just now. Is the lack of self consciousness yeah. when you're playing with your friends and you're like under ten, you like looking back, you know you looked ridiculous. Like what you were doing, you had mud on your face and all these things, but at the time it was you didn't feel that at all. You weren't aware of being observed. It was so freeing.
0: In relationships where you can get away with that, yeah. now mm. are precious. so precious. Yeah. Where you can laugh till milk you know, comes out your nose. You really <laughs> and, 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 and where you feel the freedom mm. to, to, in some ways, revert back, mm-hmm. but sometimes, in some ways, capture something that's been sadly lost. I I love doing that. Isn't it amazing how how much insight we just got into each other? We only shared for a minute and a half each, two minutes each. But in some ways we got insights into each other that are way more important than sometimes a half-hour conversation you can have. But that never gets to the kinds of things we were just talking about. That makes us smile, that makes us think of this adult as a little version of them doing this. I mean I have an insight into We all have insight into each other that's precious and it's insightful. It's amazing the glimpse you get into who someone is when you hear the answer to that simple question. And play is a profound thing. Now there's a danger in thinking too much about play. I read a a book on theology of humor and the the artist said the the, the author said that there's danger in studying humor and he said it's like dissecting a frog you learn a lot about the thing in the process but you destroy it in the process (laughs) and there's truth to that one of the beautiful things about play is the freedom of it and and the lack of being overly conscious of what you're doing to the point where, I'm I'm really hesitant to think and study and and write because I have I've written on this because there's something about it, the the preciousness preciousness is of it is how instinctive it is for us. You don't need to teach kids to play; it's it's built into who we are, and so so there can be a danger in this. It, If you have to explain a joke, you ruin it, right? (laughs) You lose everything it's intended to be, right? As soon as you start having to explain why something's funny, it's not funny anymore, (laughs) right? And so it's really important we not lose what's important about play by overthinking it, but I think it's incredibly important we think about it. If for no other reason that we tend to lose playfulness the older we get you'll meet that rare person who maintains it but it's usually something that fades into the background of our lives for all kinds of understandable reasons but but as I said play couldn't have been more important in my life growing up but I also think play has to be healthy play has to be edifying um you know the jackass movies. Yeah. <laughs> if you don't know the jackass movies, it's it's grown men acting like children, playing in incredibly dangerous ways, and people find them very entertaining. And I'm, I'm sorry to admit, with with significant limits, I do too. And I think we had similar backgrounds, where sometimes the more adrenaline and dangerous producing something was, the more interesting it was to us. But uh, but. Play can play an incredibly important role, but we need to think about it so it can be what it's intended to be for us. And so I, I remember reading uh, this, this passage of an A.W. Tozer essay one time, and he talked about diagnosing your spiritual condition. And he you, encourages you to ask seven questions to find out how you're doing spiritually. And it's not what you think. He says, what do you want most? Or what are your goals? What do you think about the most? What do you think about most during the day? These all tell you where you are spiritually. Uh, How do you use your money Is a real indicator? And then he said, what do you do in your leisure time? And and that's what I would consider sort of our play. when, When it's time to play, what do we do? He asked who are your friends? What company do we enjoy? Who are your heroes? Who do you admire? And then this last one is really convicting me. What do you laugh at? What are the things you laugh at? Those are all indicators of where you are spiritually. So how, what, how we play and how we laugh, what we laugh at, are indicators of our spiritual condition. There are kinds of play and kinds of humor that Christians shouldn't enjoy. And so I want to be wise and discerning about this because play can become an idol. I don't know if you've ever heard the expression that Americans, how does it go? Americans um, work at their play, they they worship their work and they play at their worship. And we can, we can we can work to play. In other words, we work so we can play so we can go away on the weekends and we are so serious about it we can actually kill the thing because it's what we orient our whole lives around and rather than a diversion it becomes what we live for and so we can work at our play and we can worship our work because we get so much identity from it and then we play at our worship We're, we're we're too unserious very often in the worship context and we want to be entertained rather than sometimes humble and put on our faces. But, but I, I wrote this up because I think it's, I do think it's important to define play. And when we've already brought out some of the aspects of this. I worked for months on this definition of play, but here it is. And it, it's always open to correction and alteration. But here's how I would define play. Play is a fun, imaginative, non-compulsory. You don't have to do it. Some of you have already brought all these out. Non-utilitarian. In other words, it doesn't have pragmatic, practical goals. It's not for a product. But it's a, so it's a non-utilitarian activity filled with creative spontaneity and humor, which gives perspective, diversion, and rest from the necessary work of daily life. Considering God's sovereignty and faithful love play for the Christian should demonstrate and encourage hope, delight, gratitude, and celebration. I don't think there's anyone who is able to help us with play more than Christian artists. I think Christian artists have the capacity to help us understand the playfulness of the Christian life, which, as I say, is grounded in the sovereign goodness of God. Jürgen Moltmann, believe it or not, there is a a lead theologian of play. And Jürgen Moltmann is the theologian of play. He wrote the definitive book on a theology of play, which is a great book. And it's no coincidence that Moltmann is called, it plays not his primary focus as a theologian, but he's called the, the theologian of hope. Hope was the theme of Moltmann's theology. He believed for a Christian, hope is at the center of our lives. We live in a fallen world, filled with all sorts of evidence that things are horrifically broken, but he said because we have hope in a God who's powerful enough and is sovereign and good enough and is promised that he is going to make all things new, we're able to play with hope. Play can be an idol. Play can be a diversion that is unhealthy because it it keeps us from paying attention to what matters most, which is the glory of God and living lives of fruitfulness in a horribly broken world. Play can just be silliness without any purposeful meaning in it for us. And so we don't want it to be that. And play, for a lot of us, especially Americans, can become an idol that we live for. But for a lot of Christians throughout the history of the church, it's been seen as something that shouldn't have a place in our lives. That's why I'm astounded when I read some of the Puritans who are some of my theological heroes who had views of play that I thought were, I think now are tragically missing so much of what the Christian life should be. If there's any day you play, it's on the Sabbath. Sabbath itself is not even just an invitation to rest and play, which is to do the non-necessary works of, work of life. If there's any day to play, it's on the Sabbath. That's the day that God commands we take a break. Think about how serious God is about play in that sense. And by play, I mean this non-utilitarian thing that isn't necessary for us to do. None of the things we describe were necessary. None of them had to be done, right? They were, they were times we took apart from the things that have to be done. And I say to kids, well, I have, a, I have one child who's fretting all the time. He's actually the only kid here with us. He'll, he'll just We'll be driving down the road and we'll say, hey, when we go to human two weeks, what time are we going to leave?
2: <laughs>
0: and, and when we go to human two weeks, what should I pack? Now, there are reasons for him to be thinking that way in his background thing. But I've said to him his whole life, Isaac, just enjoy being a kid. You're not responsible for anything ultimately around here, right? The bills are gonna get paid. The, the, everything's gonna keep happening if you do nothing, bud. We're, we're, we got it, we got this under control. But, but he's always thinking about this. And I say, enjoy the freedom of being a child, being a kid. You don't have to actually make sure anything happens. You've got all these stop stop gaps in your life to make sure it's all going to be okay. And that's how kids can play. Sleep has a similar thing for us. Sleep is a fascinating theme in the Bible. The Bible talks about sleep as a gift from God. And sleep can be so elusive to us when we're filled with toxic stress or when the the burdens of the world are crushing us. But to sleep, you've got to surrender. And to to play, you've got to surrender as well. So play is a kind of surrender. And, And it's fascinating to study a concept like play because it's not something the Bible explicitly deals with. But I'm committed as a theologian not just to deal with things that are explicitly dealt with, but things that are there, sometimes under the surface. But when you break down things into this sort of definition, you start to see it's all over the Bible. Things like Sabbath. Things like feasts and festivals that are commanded by God. Do you know how seriously God takes play? And by play, Sabbath needs to include play, a festival. God's the God who invented the festival of trumpets, where you just blow trumpets, right? You take all this time off and you blow trumpets. And he's so serious about it. He says, play or I'll kill you. And and what I mean by that is, think about it. Think about the Sabbath. The Sabbath is instituted when God's people are in the wilderness, where taking a day off could cost you your life. Right? Because he's saying, don't go find water. Don't go and get food. Don't collect food. Don't even build a fire. You don't build a fire. Don't do anything. Just trust me. I, I got this. I'll take care of you. And so for a Christian, play, true play, is grounded in the ability to really trust God. You ever see, like in Romans, uh, Numbers 14, you see this guy, he's collecting sticks, apparently to build a fire in the Sabbath. He's going to work on the Sabbath. And he's killed. That's what I mean. God says, player, I'll kill you. Because what he's saying is, is if you don't trust me, it's going to kill you. It's going to take your life from you. And so trust me, and you build into your life an ability to rest, to take your hands off the the wheel and and let me do the work. And it's a beautiful picture of our ability to trust God that we find throughout the Bible. He commands feasts and festivals and Sabbath. He commands us to stop working. And so there are all these beautiful portrayals of it. Now, I love the intelligent design movement. I think the apologists and philosophers at Biola University where I teach, they're the leaders in the world on the intelligent design movement. And I think it's incredibly important to think about how intricately and intelligently the world is designed. But my goodness, we need to start a playfulness of creation movement. Do you realize how how incredibly extravagant and playful creation is. That's why Jeff's walk is going to be so great. I'm sure he's going to help us think about this. God does so many things he did not need to do to sustain life, to make life. Like I prayed in the beginning, he made billions of daisies, right? And that's how he rolls. That's how he does things extravagantly. We lived in England in... the winters it was just cold so so few of the buildings are well heated i found i had long underwear on all winter when we lived in england even in in the libraries that we were studying in and it was just cold and rainy and and cloudy and i'll never forget we used to drive into cambridge when we were living there one year and and it, it was just this cold winter but i'll never forget the first day we drove by this field and all these daisies had blossomed. For, and it was like spring has arrived. And it was God just saying, here, here. And there are things we don't even know about yet. We were talking, someone was talking about the cell last night. You realize how long human beings were on this earth and we didn't even know the cell existed? And then you find the, there's a little city in there. It's just unbelievable. And so so realizing the importance of play. So here are five reasons to understand and appreciate play. Uh, One, play is a unique, God-given, universal human experience. Humans are the most... Jackson Lee Ice, what a great name, said, humans are the most play-seeking, play-making, and play-giving species that has walked the earth, ever ready to provoke or be provoked to play. He, a human being, is the jester in the courts of creation. It's so true. We we play so naturally. Now, that can get stifled. That can get stagnant. That can be muted. That can become tragically broken. But it's there deep down in the human experience. Two, play is a vital part of the most meaningful, healthy human relationships. I do think that play and playfulness is essential to good, healthy human relationships play can be hurtful or harmful but it can be incredibly life-giving as well and as well and i think weaving playfulness into daily life is incredibly important i have quite a few friends and two of our missionaries from our church live in japan and japan is a fascinating culture and one of the reasons it's so different than american culture is because they have a really hard time weaving playfulness and humor, even, into daily life. Have you ever seen a Japanese game show? They're completely, insanely, over-the-top crazy. And they are, they're, it, and it's like because their play and humor is so bottled up all the time, that when it comes time to play, ah, they lose their minds. And one of the reasons Japanese folks tend to be so intrigued by American culture is is because we've got this playfulness as this lubricating dynamic in human relationships that we're really good at. Do you know that that comedians all over the world knows? No, know if you if you can't make it in American comedy, you haven't made it. We we really do own the comedy industry, and part of the reason is because the Jewish and African American experience has been so dominant in the comedic industry. And there's a reason for that, because play and humor help us deal with life in a fallen world. It is this necessary diversion. And so when I say playfulness woven into everyday life, there's a time for set aside times to play. But I think actually even more important than that is a playfulness in our conversations, in our interactions, in washing dishes, Flicking suds at your wife when you're doing dishes is an important thing, right? And then the retaliation is just as important, right? And and just weaving this into life. I don't think I've ever been using a hose in my yard where one of my family members hasn't come out and I've at least threatened to shoot them with the hose, Getting close, if my wife is dressed, going out somewhere, at least to her feet. Something just a little bit playful. And and I do think it's so important to incorporate this into our human relationships. Sometimes, I think one of the biggest problems in conflict is that the people in conflict haven't played together in a really long time, or maybe ever. I've noticed this in my relationships, that when it's all business, a key part of your humanity gets shut down. And that's why it's so important for, for married couples, for friends, for coworkers, for neighbors. If it's all about, hey, your dog went on my lawn, and there's no play injected in that, there, there's there's an unhealthiness to that relationship. Our next door neighbors, the Riveras, the first month we had moved to La Mirada, took us to Alvera Street, the oldest, Street in the city of Los Angeles and they, this wonderful family whose, whose roots go back to Mexico took us to Olvera Street and we had a blast and it was so playful down on Olvera Street with music. And I gotta tell you, a mariachi band in your backyard <laughs> is an awesome part of Southern California culture for me. I never saw one of those once in my entire life until I moved here. And now I see him all the time. This guy's got a tuba. How often do you see a guy playing a tuba anymore? But he's got a tuba. And so I think weaving playfulness into our lives is a responsibility, if you can say that, we have as Christians. And so so we've got to see it as a key part of human life. And because we have a hard time getting it right, play tends to be seen either as frivolous, or an end in itself, right? In in the Christian view, it's either what are you doing wasting that time playing, or it becomes all-consuming. And the Christian soccer family, who entirely blows off church because a sport for their child has become an idol, is a problem. Play is for God's glory and for our good, but never an end in itself. That's so important. The reason the Sabbath means something so profound is because you worked so hard the six days before if you're doing nothing but play, it's actually becoming an unhealthy, imbalanced idol. Four, Christian maturity should develop a deep, a, a godly sense of play. In all, as in all other areas of our lives, play should fall under the sanctifying effects of the Holy Spirit's work. Six, Christian ministers should help people play well. A Christian who takes his role as a minister, which I hope is true of all of us, seriously must be able to lead people in godly play. Helping God lead, God's people survive in a broken world requires a well-developed ability to play. I read a chapter uh, in a book one time on pastoral ministry, and in the, in the title of the chapter was Speaking to a Pastor, Your People Should See Your Legs.
2: <laughs>
0: I love it. And what it meant was, like if, if the people in your church never see your legs, especially if they're unimpressive, something's <laughs> wrong. Right? Seriously, so... What he's saying is, is, at the church picnic, play in the softball game. Not because you're any good, but because that shared play experience is such a vital part of human relationships. You'll be able to care for people better if they see your legs occasionally. in <laughs> all their glory, right, is the ideal. And so we've got to help people with this. And so I take this seriously. And I hope in, in my, my speaking last night, You picked up a playfulness. I think that even in the most serious things, we as God's people who have lives grounded in hope should be able to have a playfulness. It drives some of my students at Biola crazy. You know the A-type driven ones who want to make sure they have all the notes necessary for the exam to do well? I like messing with them. (laughs) And, And it's amazing how often... There are certain students who have the hardest time injecting any playfulness into their academic experience. Some, it's all they want to do because they don't like to work. <laughs> right? That's the other problem. But, but I think as a Christian leader, I, I should not be silly or goofy or shallow, but I think we should have a playfulness to us, woven into general life and even in times when we don't expect it. Not in a gratuitous way, not because we want people to think we're funny. I remember um, there, was a, there was a high school speaker here. And my kids have heard me preach here at Ponderosa many times. They, My church has been here when I've been the, the speaker for high school here many times. And there was a speaker here, and he's great. Well, my son came home after the first meeting and said, Dad, he's so much funnier than you. <laughs> And I said to him, oh, Sam, I could do funny if I wanted to do funny. But, and we had a great conversation about it, but there should be a playfulness woven into our lives. And as leaders, I think we need to model that, not in a trivializing way, that's that's a, the opposite problem, but in a truly hopeful, hope-grounded, playful way. So let me just bust through this. Hey, look, look. Really, the point is, top of the bo- the back side of the page is, we need to take God really seriously, but never ourselves. God invites us to approach him as, a, as free, forgiven, secure children. Uh, we are to approach our holy God with healthy fear and hearts broken by our broken world. But God's people are also called rejoice, sing, play, laugh, because we know the owner of all things is working out his perfect plan. That ends with a wedding banquet. Think about that. And perfect resolution and rest. This sure hope of God's sovereign power and loving kindness enables us to play with reckless abandon even before the great wedding banquet begins. Now, again, it's not an explicit topic in the Bible, but I think it's all over life in the Bible. Biblical words translated as play. Uh, In the Old and New Testament, can carry meanings of amusement, merrymaking, celebration, laughter, sport, delight, mocking, dancing, frolicking, leaping, and prancing. Speaking of the dance, I've often thought of dance as one of the most beautiful expressions of playfulness within boundaries. At least, remind us what your your workshop is on. Mine. Yeah. Oh, uh, creativity through constraints. Yeah. So very simple. I, th- I, I thought it was interesting you were sitting next to each other because talk about creativity within constraints. strength yes. ballet is incredibly strict mm-hmm. do you want to say anything to us give us a, a a trailer of coming attractions in your workshop in light of what we've been talking I'm sure you're thinking about this well yeah I think
3: there's I think there's a lot of overlap because one of the things we'll talk about is god's creation there's a lot of Constraints and limitations we see in the creation narrative and yet there's like boisterous beauty and it also...
0: Yeah. Boisterous beauty. I love that. Alliteration's a beautiful way. Do you know, <laughs> that's playful language. Do you know we have no idea why alliteration is something like boisterous beauty. Like the term throw the baby out with the bathwater," <laughs> would have lasted one day if it was... Don't send the infant it. with it, 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 <laughs> it, 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 it. It's the alliteration that made that thing stick around for generations. Mm-hmm. And so there's even playfulness in language. Do you know? I can't remember what it's called, but there's an order we describe things with our adjectives.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Like they, it's. I think it's size, color, location. They're like
3: there's seven. Seven,
0: yes. There's seven but that we we're, were never taught. We're never taught the order. And you can be playful in language by messing with those. Like, you you would always say big blue bus, which is is alliterative as well. But blue big bus (laughs) is a little unsettling. And and it's playful. And so, yeah, even language can be wonderfully playful in that way. Yeah, let me me just get through this, and I just want to hear all the things you have to say. So play in the Bible, it's all over the place. And like I say, these ideas like Sabbath, feast, festivals, child-likeness, music, they're all impossible apart from serious play. I was talking to Bob Bennett about this, who is a godly, humble genius. If you don't know Bob Bennett, he's, he's just incredible. But I was talking about, about playfulness in music, and I know a lot of his music well, and he's very playful musically and lyrically in his music. And, and it, it it's one of the main sources of joy. He's got a song, Bob does, that he wrote about coming back after the summer in fourth grade, in third or fourth grade, and seeing Becky. And it was the first time in his life he saw a girl as more than a girl.
2: <laughs> and
0: for the rest of his life, Becky represented an understanding he had never had before. <laughs> he saw Becky. And he actually, before he published a song, he wrote Becky, who he hadn't seen since they were kids. And he said, Becky, I just want you to know how important you were to me. He said, I love my wife. It even says in the song, the woman I sleep next to every night is the woman of my life, but Becky <laughs> showed me something i had never realized before. And the, just the playfulness of the idea of that song is just beautiful. And so... So Becky, it, it, he just saw Becky at his 50th high school reunion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and it was just great for them, them to talk about that. But, but um, and, and so all these things God commands doesn't just, you know, think is a good idea. He commands these things of us. There's a playfulness in God in the midst of God's wise ordering of the universe and perfect execution of his purposes. He works with creative, playful extravagance. Play in the coming kingdom. This may be the most important theological theme in this topic. The most stirring images of play in the Bible occur in attempts to express the joy and freedom experienced in the coming kingdom. The streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in the streets. It's just beautiful. It's beautiful. He has descriptions. I don't think I've ever actually seen this. I've seen it on film, but I want to see it live. You could probably do it easily in the Central Valley. But the first time a, a calf is released after it's able to run, and it just goes crazy. And that's how God describes the, the coming kingdom for us. Like we've been released and are able to run and jump and skip and bounce for the first time. Uh, fearless childlike play is no longer inhibited by the effects of sin and the curse it's a key metaphor in Christ's kingdom, the hope of the cross. It's described as the folly of the cross. God's redeeming power that evokes play and laughter from believers is seen most powerfully in the folly of the redemptive work of Christ. And play is ground in the hope of the gospel. It can become one of life's greatest and most encouraging pleasures. And finally, there's a lot to be said in the Bible about play, that the playfulness of heaven, again, with music and singing, and dancing and joy expressed. The, the little glimmer of those feelings we were getting as we were hearing each other talk about play are just reflections of what will be completely taking over in heaven. I have lots of detail in this. If you if you just Google my name and play, several articles will come up that I wrote for Desiring God and Gospel Coalition. I wrote an academic article on this for a journal years ago. So, And I wrote, a, I wrote an article in the Apologetic Study Bible on recreation, which has a lot of very similar overlapping themes, so I would love to hear how you as artists and creative people incorpor- incorporate play, we, we just mentioned dance, which is so fascinating, With, with even, even in a discipline with strict boundaries, there's a playfulness in that, that that until you're injecting that in creativity, and please realize that hope is a kind of imagination. Faith is a kind of imagination. And fertile imagination enables us to have deeper hope. If you think about it, faith is in what you can't see before you. Faith is, is in, it's what, ho- it's what we hope for. And so the better we are at imagining what it is we're hoping for, the better will be at actually having faith and hope. Mm-hmm. And so, so that's why I say, I don't think there's anyone more important in helping us think about playfulness than the people who have eternal hope and hope no matter how bad this world gets. And so, so to weave playfulness into your art and whatever that may look like is tremendously important. Talk to me. Talk to us. What have what you, you been thinking about based on
5: what you've... Well, I feel like the kid that didn't have a bunch of imagination, and then uh, what I did have, I started moving to that box where I could say, um, I'm not creative, for example. So like, everybody here has come with these artsy ideas and stuff, and I'm just coming hoping that God will show me something new about myself that maybe I can be open to that's new, because I actually have something that I don't even know I have.
0: (laughs) Because, (laughs) you know that's beautiful so I kind
5: of think about that so how can I you know uh, get myself more imaginative or yeah. more I've never been good about this thinking out there you know yeah. you know there was like I can remember like before I knew the Lord like somebody saying like we're going to have guided imagery and I'm going to walk you through this and that I could never do that it's like can't let myself do it yeah. you know I guess I had to be in control of my thoughts and you're not going to control them or something
2: right 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 right. but
5: I'm not a good imaginer so when you talk about so that's going to help us you know with heaven and thinking about this and that more so I'm more limited yeah And need to figure out how to move on
0: you know fear is one of the greatest enemies of play
5: yes
0: it is yeah. how, how do you play when you're fearful mm-hmm. you, you just hide and so so those are important things to think through, whether it's fear or insecurity or, or whatever it may be in our lives that inhibit play, to work through those things. And you're in a great group to cultivate play right. yeah, and creativity. <laughs> yeah. Other thoughts? yeah. Uh,
7: well, this isn't something that I... Uh, it's something that I thought about that I already do. Um, I have a band, and we do lots of covers, and a few once in a while... Uh, We'll just start playing one of those songs in a completely different style. Yeah. And so we we played one song really really sped up. We played and and my you know the singers just went up and they went like chipmunk voice and it was hilarious. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then we played another song that's typically like a, an R and B song. We played it in like a reggae style, and it just I mean it gets everybody laughing, and we have tons of yeah. fun with it. That's and um, not everyone in my band is a Christian, and so. To to develop that relationship with
0: play this is an important thing. It's yeah. beautiful. Yeah, great example, Jeff.
8: So one of the things in creation is that uh, science has proven that the it's the most intelligent animals that play the most. So even like in the bird kingdom, it's the ravens, and and that family, and all those birds play a ton, and you can. See videos of ravens that'll go to the top of a roof that's covered in snow, flip on their back, and slide down the roof, (laughs) right, right back up. And sometimes they'll take a lid and use it as a sled. And you're watching that happen. And so you you look at that, and you have the primates, the monkeys are huge at play, and then elephants, Mm -hmm. of course, uh, are known for their play. But obviously, humans, um, then we would assume that most of us are more intelligent than some of the other animals. We play more. But then that. Bates the question about the intelligence of God. Yeah. That if it is the most intelligent that plays the most, then what of God?
0: hmm and, and the extravagance idea is just fascinating to me in creation. He didn't have to make most of what he made <laughs> to sustain life and do all this. Even just food and taste buds and, and the playfulness of cooking, even. I mentioned the Supper of the Lamb. There's a playfulness in that that you combine, it's like the musical thing. You're combining things you wouldn't typically combine. And like, I does anybody know who invented the root beer float? Like, <laughs> who was that guy who said, hey, what if I put a, a lump of vanilla ice cream in a root in root beer? Whoa, that's amazing. But in creation, there are all sorts of those combinations. And the the way the, the aspen tree leaves like they do and they're changing color this time of year so it's a different flutter than it was just a few weeks ago and all of these incredible variations are just yeah they, they are worship inducing as much as anything it's beautiful i so thankful for that yeah. yeah
11: so my joyful flight took him to neighbor and he was calling my dad who had to go to work to pay for the house yeah. and the food and mm-hmm. the give me the freedom to go out I mean, yeah, and yeah, play yeah. without oh. the worry that he took upon his shoulders. Yeah, My mom was it. a stay-at-home mom, and I um, always had a meal, so I knew I was going to be fed, mm-hmm. <laughs> or when mm-hmm. I'd come over her, she'd always be there, take me to the doctor. She,
0: she had to play sponsors. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and the doctors, the doctor's nurse would go,
11: Oh, Charlie, you're back to see us again. and but but all that joy and freedom and free play came at a price for someone else to pay Mm -hmm. and then there's a second thing is that i did have restriction is five o'clock i needed to be coming in the door when mickey's little hand was on five and his long arm was on 12 Mm -hmm. i needed to be at home or all hell mm-hmm. is going to break loose. Yeah, and those boundaries, again? boundaries And my mom needed to know where I was, general vicinity, while I was doing all these fun things. Mm-hmm. So while I was having all these great times in mean, my childhood and everything, I had a
0: kind of a hovering... Yeah. So but what a great compar- analogy to the way God provides what we need. Mm-hmm. Like your dad was providing what you needed and the security we need for that, and that, that Jesus, Jesus does whatever is necessary to make us secure so we can be free of our play that way. That's beautiful. You're back again. My son, who's actually here, he, he only has one foot. So he has a prosthetic foot that has a carbon fiber thing that goes in his leg, and the, the foot is carbon fiber with this, this intense, hard rubberized stuff. But he breaks this carbon fiber prosthesis about three Mm -hmm. times a year. Mm -hmm. I mean, you could run this thing over with a car. And I love it because Seamus, his prosthetist, when Isaac comes in with a broken, he says, Yes! (laughs) Way to go, Isaac. Mm -hmm. That's why I make yeah. So, you can be a boy. Right? I mean, get out there. And I love Seamus's attitude because you could so easily say, oh, What in the world, Isaac? I just I, I can't make it any stronger. I can't be frustrated by it instead of, Yes, you broke my prosthesis again. Let me figure out how to make it even stronger this time. Right? But it, it, it's a different attitude. That's why, tell me your name again. Lauren. Lauren, when you were talking about the landscaper, not, no. Yeah. The not landscaper not liking it, I was thinking, yeah, but there are some landscapers who would love it. Mm -hmm. And it's the ones who get children Mm -hmm. and get play and say, Oh, this is so worth it. Right? There's a way of thinking about the and I think sometimes we think about the landscape, God is the landscaper who won't like it. Mm -hmm. And we're messing up things, Mm -hmm. and we're not taking things seriously enough. And God's a landscaper, like my son's prosthetist, who says, go for it I love it other thoughts yeah I've been
12: thinking about, I have three little kids at home and I spent most of my adult life with kids actually because even when I was single I was a teacher yes. and now I'm a mother and um, they just help you be playful and it's such a gift that God has this life cycle where we are a child and then as we grow whether we have children in our lives or we have our own children we get to, we have the opportunity, I don't think all adults take the opportunity, but we have the opportunity to relive, to heal some wounds from child, our own childhood oh through God. being with children in their childhood. Or So my recommendation would just be, if you're feeling a lull, go find some kids to hang out with because <laughs> they <laughs> will just help you um, rediscover. And I love the idea of imagination being the early roots of faith. Yes. I love, I, there's a, a mom blogger that I talked to, she, talking about homeschooling and talking about helping kids imagine. Like, I really have to fight against a to-do list with my children and realize when they're playing, they're actually doing the more important work of That's building right. a mind and a heart and soul that can have faith right. in God someday. And it, now, a it, childlike faith, but as they mature. So, anyway, lots of... Who's the blogger? Um, her name's Layla Lawler. So she blogs it um, like mother, like daughter. She's wonderful.
0: You, know, you you have such a sophisticated sense of humor too, which I'm sure is so helpful.
12: Well, I've been praying for to laugh more because I, I really think the enemy mm. he wants us to think that God is frowning. He wants mm. us to think that God is arms crossed at us. Yes. Yeah. But in Jesus Jesus is he's always smiling down yes. on us. Even in our sin, yes. he is still having a demeanor of Oh, that's not what I have for you. Come this way. Like mm. he's never He's, we're never under God's frown anymore. His wrath has been taken care of. So I think that the enemy wants us to think that play is frivolous and so I can get stuck in my to-do list. So I've literally been recently praying that I would laugh more, which if you pray that you will end up kind of clumsy <laughs> and funny things will happen because I've had the silliest things happen or I'm dropping something I'm like, laugh about it, Laura. Don't get angry. Let your kids see you laugh about it. I'm like, guys, look what I just did. And they're like, okay, I'm like, I just that whole thing and let's clean it up and but it really has to be a conscious choice because when a child you just spent this whole time cleaning something and that's immediately they come in and spill and you're like that's okay that's what the floor is for it caught it all let's get the mop out or but it's hard it's a real temptation to not be funny so thank you for pointing out that i am you do that's that i think that's helpful for
0: all of us to hear so laura has an amazing lead she's just got a Incredible sense of humor, it, both in finding other people funny and in being funny yourself. Sometimes I'll say things in a sermon and she's the only one laughing. <laughs> which I so appreciate. At least more understands right? <laughs> But 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 even for someone who that comes so naturally to, you can you can lose that. Life can squeeze that out of you. And the more responsibility you take on, typically, the more that happens.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And so to continue to cultivate that is so important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I
12: was going to ask you, when do you notice yourself? Do you tend toward uh, getting too serious and not playing enough, or do you tend toward playing too much? And what, how do you notice that and come back to that sort of healthy place? So
0: I think the way I've sinned most for the last, 18 years is in exasperating my children to anger. <laughs> <laughs> but before, before that, I think probably if you added up all the sin in my life, it would have been in the name of of humor and playfulness and being it was just a am- I I learned right around the same time in 5th grade as a social outcast that I could get approval by being funny, mm-hmm. being an athlete. And those became two huge go-tos for me. And Don and my wife and another friend in the same week in front of me, sophomore year of college, and said, why does everything have to be a joke to you?
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: You need to get serious about something. And it was. I, saw, I can remember feeling pressure, leaving a voicemail, what do we call them, on the voice machine, <laughs> um, to, see... The voice was. It is funny. Thank you, i it, it. I. I remember leaving a message and then feeling pressure to say something funny because I knew what people expected of me, mm-hmm. and that's why I feel tremendous freedom not to be that way,
2: mm-hmm.
0: because some. Because I want to be helpful. I want to be edifying, mm-hmm. and so I'll find myself in meetings and I'll think, I need to be the comic relief right now. This is really. Mm-hmm. <laughs> boring or way too serious or something. There are other times I I just say, this is just getting nowhere. This is trivial. This is silly. We don't want to get serious. And then I'll try to play that role. So I'm always trying to say, what's helpful here? When it, when we need to be all things to all people, as Paul says, I think that means adjusting based on who we're with, what what the situation needs, what it calls for. The team I'm on, what role can I play to help this team in a particular way, based on the personalities and the lack of playfulness, either or the triviality of it, or something. And so, so I think that's the mentality I try to have. What's helpful in this situation? Like I said, I'm serious about trying to mess with students who are so driven for the grade that I want to mess with them. I want to, I want to get them to be playful and, and see theology as a, of, of a delightful adventure of discovery, not a problem to be solved all the time. Mm-hmm. And so so that, it's, I, I, that edifying word is, is what I think of most when I try to do this. Mm-hmm. And I do, I've, I'm from the Northeast where we say quick and often cutting things to people we love. And so a, a sarcastic sense of humor, a, a make fun of sense of humor. Um, yeah, we had, a, and again, our football team, he was the most conceited guy in the team. And by the grace of God, he happened to have the biggest head on the team as well.
2: <laughs> I mean,
0: he had the, a literal big head and a metaphorical head. <laughs> and it was, it was amazing that God matched those up for us to make fun of. <laughs> and and so, so Dan would walk in the cafeteria and a bunch of us sitting around as football players We'd start gasping for air because <clears throat> we would say, when Dan walked in the room, his head was so big, he sucked the air right out of the room. That's how much air he required. And So that's the kind of sense of humor I grew up with and the sort of playfulness I grew up with. And so I've had to rein that in massively in my life because still to this day, that kind of stuff comes, comes to mind. Kevin Hart talks about pre-bullying his kids so that when you get to school, there's nothing they haven't heard. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, oh, my dad says that to me all the time. Then, because it pays me, right? Terrible. Uh, yeah, terrible. And so, um, so yeah, that, that's how I try to think about it, is edifying. But, but also realizing, oh, that just went over the line. And that this wasn't the best time for that. It's so important. in, in reeling that back in and repenting. Other thoughts? Yeah. Um,
10: so. I really appreciate the non-utilitarian aspect of the definition you gave us. But I teach eighth grade history, and I'm trying to think: how can I use play yeah. as utility in my classroom? And uh, the best days, like yesterday, we were acting out excerpts of the Declaration of Independence. Woo, it's real exciting, right? <laughs> but it was actually one of the best days because the kids were playing. Yes. So my question is: is it okay to use play as you? Utility, like, obviously I think it is, but how do we balance that and how can we use play to our benefit in our vocation? Yeah,
0: I have a friend who's a phenomenal, he teaches 7th grade history. And when he does Roman history, he turns the whole room into an Italian restaurant. And he dresses like a a maitre d' when the kids come into the class. And he's got a menu for what they're going to cover. He's, he's got this horrible tuxedo on, and he, he, he leads them to their desk, and he, he points out all the things they're going to be. He's got this whole little cult around Pez candy dispensers. He's got them all lined up on the board, and depending on how good your answer is, he'll give you a Pez candy from a particular... So the best answers get it from the Superman Pez dispenser. And the kids... Like, if you give them a Pez from the Superman dispenser, you made their year. It's like they got the Academy Award for it. He's created this wild, make-believe world. And that's the important part when we talk about structure and play. Committing to the make-believe world and the boundaries you set up, whether it's the graveyard boundaries for the bugs or it's dance, committing to the world is really important. That's why I read one guy said... We hate, the, we hate the spoil sport more than the cheat because the, at least the cheat respects the rules enough to try to break them. The, the, the spoil sport just takes his ball and goes home and doesn't even do anything we're all agreeing to do. And so committing to the world of make-believe is really important. So the boundaries are incredibly important for a game of hopscotch. I mean, the reason hopscotch is what it is is because you commit to the rules of it. And Emily had an advantage right? That nobody else had because she was so tall. And, and that becomes part of it. But she's working within the rules. So just flouting the rules like they don't matter is not the best kind of play. And it's amazing that when you make up a make-believe world, it creates structure that you then commit to. But within that, there's unbridled play. I, I asked last night, if a meadow, I think a meadow is a picture of that. It's, it's freedom within boundaries. Which is why we find Meadows so psychologically and emotionally appealing to us, I'm convinced. I love Meadows, and I'm sure that's what it is. Because I feel security, but with all kinds of freedom in that. And and that's what you were talking about, Laura. So, I'm writing a book, 20 Things Christians Should Probably Stop Saying. I've been writing it so long, my dad said, you should probably stop saying you're writing that book. (laughs) Uh, But... (laughs) But one of the chapters is, I actually, this is going to upset some of you. I think we should stop saying God's love is unconditional. Because the Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. It says, my loving kindness is toward those who fear me. Here's why we say that. God's met the conditions of holiness, of righteousness, of forgiveness, of wrath being satisfied. So it becomes unconditional for us. But if you say to people, God loves unconditional in our culture,
2: mm-hmm.
0: you know what they hear? God doesn't care about sin. He's like, ah, we're good. It's like bygones by bygones. And then how to explain the cross? How to explain hell?
7: Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, so of my coworkers say. They're like, well, yeah, I left church because they were being homophobic and doesn't God love everybody? You know? Yeah,
0: mm-hmm. yeah. So so that's, that's the idea. Oh, oh, there are conditions. But God's that father is not frowning. He's mm-hmm. met the conditions. Mm-hmm. And so we have the smile of God
2: mm-hmm.
0: because he's paid the bills. Mm-hmm. <laughs> something good's happening here. Yeah, <laughs> it's beautiful. Beautiful, yeah.
5: I have a question. I read something that was in the blurb about this workshop, and it said about people in grief, even, yeah. when you play. Yeah. I have a lot of people in an older community whose husbands are dying all around me. So how does that, what's some example of something in that area?
0: Yeah, I, I think because of the hope we have as Christians. I, so Jürgen Moltmann's, the first sentence of his book of Theology of Play, he, it's, he wrote it in 1969. And the first sentence is, how can we play when people are dying every day in Vietnam? How can we do that? And the answer is hope. And so... Like I said, it's no coincidence that African Americans and, and Jews dominate the comedy industry. It's because they've suffered more than any people groups. And and suffering will either drive you to the grave or to stress or to despair, or it'll drive you to find hope somewhere that gives you the ability to laugh even in the midst of grief. And so the, the subtitle of, of an article I wrote on humor is Laughing Through Tears, the, ro- the role of humor in a fallen world. And laughter and play are very similar in that way. Play and humor are very similar in that way. Some of the hardest laughter I've ever experienced is at a reception after a funeral. When we've been weeping. And then we tell stories about the person and we laugh more deeply than any other time. It's amazing how those two aren't inseparable. They actually go together beautifully. We, we groan with hope. And, and we rejoice in the midst of suffering. And so Christians are those people who those aren't mutually exclusive for us. We're able to laugh and have a playfulness even in the midst of deep grief because we're groaning on the way to glory. And when we realize that, it puts everything in a different perspective. But without the hope of the cross, I don't know how you play in a healthy way. Without the hope of a new heavens and a new earth where every tear will be wiped away, there won't won't be one more cancer cell. There won't be one more war. Without that assurance, I don't know how play can be as healthy and helpful as it should be. I I don't have that answer, but I have it in Jesus. One or two more? Comments, questions, insights, yeah.
4: My husband is especially clever and imaginative and all of that, which is what drew me to him. And he is really good at the double meaning of words. And then when I say something, he'll go off on a tangent on something else. So this is good that I, I need to appreciate that more rather than I tend to not, Uh. so I'm one of those ones you would have the list, try to get the grade, and so it's good for me to be aware of play and to challenge myself in that.
0: That's so good. So did you see me whack him with my beret last night? Mm -hmm. He was really deadpan when I did that and he kind of acted like it hurt, Mm -hmm. which for a minute. I thought, oh, is that too... I just met him for the first time. <laughs> and within 90 seconds, I whack him with my beret. <laughs> kind of hard, but it was a beret. And, and at first I thought, oh, is that not in his wheelhouse? But it is, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm good.
8: <laughs> you should know that he got hit by a car just a few years ago and his body's totally broken
0: is it we no really look at <laughs> <laughs>
5: no
2: he was
0: so that's that's Whoa. dark humor right there <laughs> is it he too soon <laughs> <laughs> so just don't slap him on the shoulder that'll be painful but the
4: chest
2: was fine <laughs> <laughs> that's really good to know Emily should
0: hand out anatomy diagrams of where not to hit people here. like Jerry Root will thump you on the chest if you're a man
6: um, yeah, thanks for that. Yeah, that, was, that was, did you, you
8: see straight right face? There, and it? And he did it in jest. It was fun. So it, it was good, fun. good.
6: I
0: figured <laughs> that out, but at first I wasn't sure. Because yeah. he had a really straight face, just like you just did, when you talked to me about his horrible car accident.
2: <laughs> you
0: know there are only seven kinds of jokes? Yeah. What are the seven kinds of jokes? Uh, characterological jokes. Isn't that fascinating? That's what Chaucer's whole... Henry kind of about Chaucer writes about people, and you say, "I know that guy. He's he's. I saw him in the mall yesterday. Right? It's amazing." So they're characters that we find humor in simply because it's a type of person. You know? uh-huh. Fascinating character, sure. Almost yes, almost right. A little yes. play, word play, right there. Yes. Uh, so there's there's character humor. There's there's dark humor. The Scottish love dark humor. There's actually, they did a research study on the funniest jokes in every country in the world. (laughs) People in the country submitted jokes. And the funniest joke in Scotland, which Scottish people love dark humor, was, I want to die like my grandfather did, peacefully in his sleep not screaming in terror like the passengers in his car he was driving. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Americans love put people in your place humor. Mm -hmm. Americans love like take people down a notch humor. Mm -hmm. So the number one joke in America was Texan talking to Harvard grad. Mm -hmm. Texan. Where are you from? Harvard grad. I'm from somewhere. We don't put prepositions at the ends of sentences. Texan. Oh, okay. So, where are you from? Jackass. (laughs) (laughs) It's not a bad word, if you're wondering. It's a name for an animal. (laughs) So humor is fast. humor's like play; it's it's universally experienced, but very subjectively appreciated. And so, so figuring it out can be challenging that way. Was that an answer to a question? I told started telling jokes. <laughs> you started saying two of the seven types, but you don't. Oh, two. The se- yeah. Uh, character, dark humor, uh, wordplay humor, uh, unexpected ending humor, repeat humor. So there's a there's an art. To saying something funny, waiting long enough simply to return back to it. <laughs> if you do it too soon, it's not funny. Mm-hmm. If you wait too long, it's not funny. Mm-hmm. But there's it's rebound humor. It's, you return to a funny thing you said, and for some reason... And again, we don't know the psychology of this stuff. Mm-hmm. For some reason, it's just funny. Because <laughs> you went back to it. Right? And so... Carrie. Uh... Uh, I, I can't, can't remember. There's a, if you actually Google it, it'll come up. Yeah, sure. There are only, seven kinds, there are only kinds, five kinds of tastes. Did you know that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's just added umami. He's number five. Anyway, mm-hmm. we'll one more question? Comment? So yeah.
9: how do you encourage your students, particularly at that age, to be more playful, to find play when
0: you're... So much of that depends on the students. Mm-hmm. I, I want to say to some of them, you know what? There's more to life than spike ball. Yeah. Right? Because they, their whole world is yeah. nothing but play. Yeah. And play becomes not what it's intended to be because it's all they do. Mm-hmm. Like I said, they live to play, they work at their play. And some need the opposite lecture than a lot of what we've been saying here. And I need to say, get serious, would you? Mm-hmm. T- take life seriously. But, but for students who are driven A-type, mm-hmm. I taught at Wheaton College, and that's all you get there. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so refreshing to be at Biola, where you have, still have kids like that, but you got complete surfer slackers.
2: Yeah.
0: And, and they need each other. They yeah. really need each other. And that's why I think diversity of, fellow, of p- kinds of people in fellowship is so important. Especially intergenerational. You hear a lot about diversity these days, but not a lot about intergenerational diversity, which is so biblically commanded that the older disciple the younger. And I think dividing people up in church by demographics is a really bad idea. I think the apostles, if they saw all our groups we have, you know, you got you got babies, kids, youth, singles, singles who are wanting to get married. Uh, Young marrieds, young marrieds with children, and you get the elderly group. So the kids are all pooling their ignorance. And the adults are getting more and more cranky every day together. And, And even stylistically, we divide things up that way musically. And so it's one of Justin Unger's major efforts working with churches and worship leaders is to get rid of all these stylistic. Opinions that dominate, even to the point where the old people go and sing and the young people yeah, go and sing yeah. it, You may have that in your church, and I understand the rationale for it, but I think it's waving the white fla- flag in a kind of unity we don't want to quit on. We've got serious differences, never mind musical stylistic differences. We can't work through that. How are we going to work through racial, demog- uh, socioeconomic, or mm-hmm. di- differences? I mean, so anyway, mm-hmm. gotcha. yeah. Last thing.
4: I was thinking of how, right now, I'm a grandparent. As a parent, I try to provide, like, props, um, costumes, things for my children to play. I had an abusive uh, marriage relationship, in a sense, and I buffered and made it a secure place for my kids to play. And now, with my grandkids, um, I just bought some costumes <laughs> for my little costume box because I think we need time alone and to provide them time alone yes. to wander and be by themselves, I think there's such a balance between those two yes. that I'm really mindful of. And with my grandkids, I'm mindful of I'm buying some veils, you know for them. And I'm, I'm always thinking of how I can um, encourage them to enter that world of imagination and play because I had it as a child, it was stifled in my marriage and now through recovery and healing I'm laughing more and I'm I'm, in, I'm developing that and that's why I'm here. <laughs>
0: what a beautiful way to be a minister though. Yes. And, and there's something so courageous about creating that as you're standing between the abuse and mm-hmm. the children and creating that world that you've got to be able to enter into even though you're burdened by what's happening. Yes. That's beautiful. I hear so many things like that. Even you think of hiding from Nazis during the war and parents, when when Nazis were out the door, they would play with the kids just to distract them, but also to help them enter another world. And the ability to do that, knowing what's out the door, is incredible strength.
4: And there's a movie called The A Beautiful Life, I believe. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Oh. That's a good movie. About play. That one was just uh, was really stayed yeah, with yeah, me.
0: Yeah. Is that's the one where he plays opera music? He's,
4: no, he's in a yeah, concentration yeah. camp like... with his son and he pretends like
0: it's a game. Oh yeah. To oh, to, right. to, to take away the stress oh, right. of the yes, 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 yeah, I have seen it. But what, what's the one where in their concentration camp and he plays Opera music There's over those same
6: on <laughs> Oh, that's
0: right, that's right. That's a great example of the same sort of thing.
6: Definitely. Yeah. Um, uh, for a while, we had a family of five living with us, LA, And and um, I loved their daughter. She was so thoughtful, and it was so much fun. To, I think we need children just so we can play. But um, I remember one day she got all these red scarves that I had for dancing, and she tied them together. And then she put them on her head and she went up into our treehouse yeah. and pretended that she was Rapunzel. <laughs> so yeah, anyway, then we were playing pick-up mm-hmm. and she put them in her head like a Japanese, you I, know, with all these pick-up sticks. And I mean, mm-hmm. every single day she would come up with these delightful things. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought, oh, it was so much fun. And,
0: and a little child shall lead them. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just amazing how children can teach us and remind yeah. us of something. Like animals, yeah. Jeff. We have two golden retrievers and they're so good for my soul because I'll be weighted down by the wonders, the, the concerns of the world. And I'll walk in and Biscuit, he'll go, like, he'll give me this look and I know he wants to play and it's sort of this, and then he'll, he'll just do this and it's like, let's go buddy. And he pulls me right out of it. And what you're saying is, is we're more, we should be more sophisticated. But they put us to shame so often <laughs> and how well they get that playfulness. And, and it, it's a gift from God. How he will. He'll come with a ball in his mouth and I'll go to reach it and I'll go like this.
2: <laughs> and
0: if I ignore him, he, he's like complete playfulness. It's just beautifully portrayed in an animal who shouldn't be as good as it as I am, but puts me to shame so often. Beautiful, beautiful. Christy, would you close us in prayer? Yeah.
6: I'm going to sign, if that's okay. It's okay for sign? Okay. Yes. Um, of course. So, um, Heavenly Father, we just praise you for each one that's here. We praise you for the amazing gift of gifts, the gift of play. We praise you for the amazing gift of being able to imagine. We praise you, Lord, above all for the really sweet fellowship that we are experiencing with one another. Lord, bless each one of them. Deliver us from fear so that we can play. And uh, just bless bless each one that's here. Mm -hmm. In Jesus' name,
0: amen. 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 Thank you, guys. So good.